Hello, and welcome to Surveyor Says, the podcast from the National Society of Professional Surveyors. This week's episode features our panel discussion from the recent Survey and GIS Summit, hosted virtually by NSPS and ERISA. Our panelists are Linda Foster from Ferber Engineering, Trip Corbin from Davy Resource Group, Brent Jones from Esri, and I am Tim Birch from SpaceCo. Surveyors and GIS professionals share tools, markets, clients, and a lot more. There are many commonalities with services that surveyors and GIS professionals offer, but there are many differences as well. Questions were presented to this expert panel of both professional land surveyors and practicing GIS professionals. Thanks for joining us here on the podcast and hope you enjoy listening to this episode of Surveyor Says. This session, um, we want to discuss a little bit about what we've heard and a little bit about uh, what's happening. And we have a, a nice diverse group here. Uh, Tim Burke, President-elect of NSPS, who hosts the Surveyor Says broadcast, uh, podcast. And he's going to be helping us lead this discussion. He's had this same discussion with, uh, or similar discussions with uh, quite a few people on his podcast. Uh, Linda Foster of Ferber Engineering. She's a... Uh, a GISP and an LS, among other things. I think you're a drone pilot as well, uh, with a lot of great experience. Her master's degree was actually in the parcel fabric. Uh, my name is Brent Jones. I'm from Esri. And Trip Corbin, who has um, all kinds of different experiences of running his own company, doing all kinds of GIS books, uh, GIS projects. He's written a few, learned GIS books, and now he uh, leads GIS at Davy Resource Group. So with that, Tim, I think we, uh, let's just open this up. You bet. Um, yes, like Brent said, we've, that's a new series we've started on our, our Surveyor Says podcast uh, at NSPS, and it's called What is Surveying? And to date, we've had three esteemed guests, two of them, which are on this panel of Linda and Brent. Uh, and especially it was it was especially nice talking to them because they have a foot in both both camps. Um, the third person was actually we were talking on the uh, geodesy side uh, with Mr. Dave Doyle, uh, retired from NGS. Uh, a lot of you know him. Most of us love him um, as long as we have a Guinness in our hands. But uh, so the question is, what is surveying? And by asking that to different people in the industry, we get different answers. And so we're trying to look at those different answers and see how we relate to each other and where we complement each other and where there's overlap, good overlap. So I guess for this panel, I'll throw it out at first, geospatial data. I mean, should any single profession claim to own it? Trip, what do you think? Okay, sorry, my unmute wasn't working. So, no, it's a, it's a great question, one that I think has been at the center of the relationship between both of these uh, for as long as they have both uh, coexisted. And I always kind of take it back to uh, there, there's certain things I think we all generally agree on, right? You know, if we're determining parcel boundaries, 
for transfer of property or rights or things of that nature. I think there's no one would argue that that's in the realm of surveying. Uh, I think if it's for engineering type work uh, for actual final design, that would be in the realm of surveying. Um, and to me, if we're ever in a situation where we have to do some sort of guarantee or warranty of accuracy and precision, I believe that should be in the realm of survey. I do, to kind of get back to your question, uh, does the data itself need to be segregated into ownership? Not necessarily. Um, I think it's the the use of the data or the guarantees associated with that data that do merit some segregation. Uh, if for no other reason than the, the ba basically education and training background. Um, you know, I started out uh, in surveying. My dad was a surveyor and an engineer, so he, he drug me out in the field as soon as I could carry a bush axe and machete. Uh, I went to school for surveying. So, you know, I understand a lot of the methodologies and, and, and ways to determine uh, accuracy, how we can make adjustments to data to improve that information. Uh, whereas I think a lot of folks on the GIS side don't get similar training. Um, they don't understand what a least squares adjustment is versus a, a transit rule or a compass rule adjustment, um, those kind of things. So I, I think there does need to be some segregation in that department. As to ownership of the data, uh, you know, we're all going to Use. I know surveyors use GIS data and GIS people certainly use surveying data. And it kind of gets back to some of the earlier discussions that Brett uh, brought up and Jan brought up uh, about, um, you know, the, the feasibility of use. What questions do we know can be answered by the data? The, you know, does the metadata exist and those kind of things um, as to which profession, you know, should own the, the information. I, but I think it's more in, in the use and the generation than is to, to overall ownership, if that makes any sense. No, it does. That, that, that does. Um, Linda, I'm going to turn it over to you. Having both, like I said earlier, you got feet in both camps and you're dealing with data on both sides of this. Uh, where do you feel like, I mean, is there any way that either profession owns any of it? or does it all go into the same big mixing pot? I think that's a great question, Tim. And, and I do actually every day work uh, on both sides of, of the professions, both in GIS and in land surveying. And I think, you know, reaching back to some of the themes that were in Jan's presentation earlier, I think really at the end of the day, it comes back to, I don't know if it's so much of an ownership. I, I like how Trip uh, phrase that as a generation and use. Um, you know, obviously the difference between, let's say, for instance, a, a registered land surveyor and a certified GIS professional, you know, everyone I'm sure is familiar with the difference between um, licensing and certification. Licensing comes with a, a legal responsibility and liability um, considerations. And so that being said, you know, there's definitely a, what's its purpose? What's it um, use and understanding how it was generated, why it was generated, and how it should be applied, I think are, are critical po uh, points that need to always be considered. And I, I don't think that's really owned necessarily by either profession. I think it's owned by each one of us individually and understanding that there are differences and being aware of how we're collecting, 
how we're processing, how we're presenting, how we're using others' data, that we're being good stewards regardless and that we're being mindful of, is it fit for use? What's it, what was it created for? How was it generated? I like Jan's questions of, do I know? Do I know how it was created? Do I know enough about it to know how to apply it and use it in a responsible manner? So I guess that would be my, my uh, take on that particular question. Very good. And I think you hit it on the head. I mean, that it, you're right. It, it is, it is a shared use and using the, using the, the proper data for the proper application and the analysis of such, like you said, for whether it's infrastructure or for land conveyance, it just depends on where it goes. All right, Mr. Brent, I got a question for you with technology and data collection because of the, the lowering of the barrier to entry for high precision data collection, who should be using this? I mean, is there any, is there any camp either side or anybody else that should be limited to survey grade? I mean, I, I, that's all you ever hear, survey grade data versus mapping grade data. Well, everybody can get survey grade data these days, but should that limit the GIS uh, community? You know, I, I think we have to, uh, I, I think that term is going to be survey grade, mapping grade. I think those are going to go away. Uh, I think survey grade is, is when we had these different GPS receivers and different types of total stations and we, and we understood the collection methods and there were only a couple of them. Um, Jan's term was, you know, th these are like life and death data sets. So when you have LIDAR on your car collecting real-time data that's, you know, in the millimeter zone, is that survey grade? Yeah, I, I, don't, I don't think that's a fit term. So I think there's, there's a continuum of the quality or the precision or accuracy of data. There's several forms of accuracy. Uh, there's topological accuracy. There's positional accuracy. There's, are the attributes correct? Um, is the metadata attached and, and validated? So I think that the, the, one of the challenges or one of the areas where the, uh, uh, the, the differences initially emerged was that accuracy was put into the hands of everyone. And, you know, it, and it's been misused. And but whether you're using a a complex enterprise GIS system with single centimeter data in it, or you're plotting that on mylar uh, with a rapidograph. It, I don't. I don't think it matters. I think we have to describe what the data is, and have we have we memorialized that data with metadata? You know, surveyors will memorialize a boundary survey with a plan. Sometimes that plan gets recorded. Sometimes it doesn't. But that plan represents what that data was collected for. In GIS, their systems are being built and data is large data sets, often, oftentimes very accurate data sets are collected and merged and managed together. So instead of thinking of these single projects, but, but thinking of, of building these systems. And I, I think accuracy is in the domain of who's ever using the tools now. I think that's uh, that. And unfortunately, you know, surveyors uh, and myself being a surveyor, that's a, that's a high degree of identity of, of, of how of accurate measurement. But I think that's been democratized. 
absolutely. Uh, I, I guess really same question to you, Tripp. Uh, anything to add or deflect from, from Brent? You know, I think Brent's pretty much onto it. Now, I would say the added complication that we're getting is uh, multifaceted. One is the democratization of the technologies to allow anybody to theoretically achieve high accuracy uh, data is what's the word I'm, to to a less or to some degree um, uh, marginalizing what it really takes to ensure that that data is truly at the accuracies that people are expecting. And I think that's part of what we have to do as a community is make sure we're educating the users of that to understand just because a device says it's achieved a certain level of accuracy doesn't mean that that's truly there. Janet, you know, did a great job, I think, of illustrating some of that when he was showing the, the speed limit sign. And, and there was a lot of precision in that sensor, uh, but there wasn't necessarily a lot of spatial accuracy. But how do we define and uh, educate and illustrate that to the general public so they understand the limitations thereof? I mean, I remember going into a county um, meeting where we were delivering some ortho aerial photography and one of the county commissioners had gone to Walmart, bought a Garmin handheld unit. And, and this was, you know, 15 years ago and collected some coordinates compared to that, to the ortho photo. And they were obviously different. And he was trying to claim that his, that our data that we were providing uh, in the form of the photos was wrong. Um, and trying to then go back and explain to him, no, that his little handheld unit was not nearly as accurate or precise as you know the the twenty five thousand dollar Trimble system we had at the time to set up the control um, for that. It was was challenging, and I think that that challenge is going to continue to be out there for all of us as more and more of this information is being generated uh, by our cars, by our smartphones, um, you name it, and being able to show the limitations there uh, and to show that why we need things like surveyors that are trained in being able to verify accuracy and precision and calculate error matrix uh, with those and those kind of things. So I think that's a, a big challenge we're all facing um, as well as, and it's been brought up in a couple of comments, I think here in, in the chat, is can we keep the, the legislation? I mean, and that, that's in, in essence really what defines the boundary between surveying and GIS is the, the laws for professional surveying. Can they keep up with the changes of technology? Um, if not, how do we facilitate that so that um, they are reasonable uh, the laws out there that are finding that uh, and so on. So, Oh, exactly. Well, one thing I guess I would add as far as the data collection methods, and this is, and I, and I know I'm preaching to the choir to everybody in, you know, on, in this conference um, to me, it's, it's the, it's the people that are going out spending their 700 to $1,500 on their UAV, you know, another three grand on, on uh, uh, photogrammetry software and now saying that they can go out and fly sites for construction, uh, analyzation for volumes, for various things. 
um, yeah, once again, it's, it's the, the data may be very, very, uh, very, very precise, but I, but how accurate is it? Can you tie that to other, other things? So, um, we've got to be careful while there is a lot of ways to collect very accurate data. And I agree with Brent that the, the survey grade mapping grade, that whole thing is going to go away, uh, because of the, the ability I, I'm, I'm still surprised. It was just a couple of years ago that one of the Chinese uh, phone manufacturers came out with a dual frequency GPS phone. And I'm surprised that uh, more of the manufacturers have not jumped on board of that just yet. I mean, they've now obviously, like Brent said, thrown LIDAR in the, the iPhones. We're going to see dual frequencies in, in these phones uh, on a regular basis very soon. And uh, you're going to put that in the, in the hands of realtors and other people that are going to say, I can measure just as close as you, I, I can position just as close as the surveyor can. So we've got to be careful with that. Yeah, Tim, I had a professor so Tim, who said, oh, go, go ahead, Linda. Oh, no, I, I'm watching the chat here and it just, I, I wanted to just, there's some great conversation going on here um, yes. in our chat window. I, I so wish we were all sitting in the same room together and we would have a very, very great discussion. I, I can just see it. But one of the things that, you know, what just came up here most recently was uh, educating the public and having them understand or not understand what's, what's being used and what's, what the possibilities are. But let's roll back and look at our chat window here. We have some great discussion about education. Mm -hmm. So education in the GIS arena and education in the land surveying arena. I think there's still arguably some gaps in both. Um, in introducing each other to the other profession and helping open that door and helping uh, each profession under better understand what their counterparts are doing and what, what the, the foundation of the profession really is. And I think that's the, at the core of why this group brought the summit back to light because this is a conversation that needs to be had. And I know Tim, you and I have had some great discussions about about the educational piece of it. And maybe you can speak a little bit to that uh, as far as, um, oh, does there need to be more emphasis on GIS in the surveying curriculums and vice versa? Right, well, tell you what, Brent, you got a thought you want to jump in here? Well, I think it's really important. There, there is a fundamental difference and you know, it has nothing to do with measurement. It has nothing to do with spatial analysis or making maps, but land surveyors are granted the authority uh, by the states to issue legal opinions. And those legal opinions are, they're limited, uh, but a measurement is a legal opinion. Uh, a boundary survey is a surveyor's opinion of where that boundary is. Boundaries can only be fixed by the court. When I was a young student, uh, 30 some years ago, the chairman of the department uh, had to go testify as an expert witness. And when, you know, it was all exciting, you know, we're young surveying students, hey, this is really exciting. And it was testifying on the, the size of a piece of property. And, uh, you know, as a student, you know, you think like, why is that? Why, isn't there an answer? And it, there's not, okay, because all measurements have error. And when he, when he got back from, the, from court, he said, uh, we settled out of court. So on these things that we consider, you were talking about these measurements of how they're so important. The, the, the determination of a piece of property was the, the size was determined, was, was settled out on a handshake outside the court. 
So it's really important to remember that the that measurements, uh, when they're done by a surveyor and used in construction or in uh, determining a boundary or opinion of boundary or in, the, in that process, it's a different thing than going out and locating um, property corners, uh, monuments, fire hydrants, topological features, regardless of the accuracy, they're different functions. The data is collected for different uses and the accuracy has, the, the accuracy is independent. Right, no, it, it, yeah, I completely agree that, uh, well, and I guess let's, I guess that's gonna bring kind of one of my next questions up for, for, for all three of you. Uh, licensed surveyor, versus a GISP and not necessarily versus battling out in a, you know, in the ring, it's, it's knowledge base. How do they compare in knowledge in what they're, what they're charged with by their license or charged with, with their certification? Linda, you're both. Tell me, what do you think? Well, I think that's a great question, and they're they're really completely different in my experience as far as you know the the types of topics that are taught. Um, I can think of maybe maybe two courses in my background that really there was a tremendous amount of crossover, and it was relevant um, and and very similar in both both worlds, if you will, that I've I've trained in and practiced in. But aside from that, there's a tremendous amount of difference. Um, to be perfectly honest, and also in kind of the process and means by which you, you gain licensure as a professional land surveyor, and also the, the process in which you gain certification as a GISP, there's um, some very stark differences. Um, now, both require an extraordinary amount of, of training and knowledge and experience, and I think that's um, a very common thread. But as far as similarities in, you know, perhaps content and that type of a thing, uh, very different as well. Sure. Trip, what do you think? What what does each side bring to the table that that really is necessary for licensing of surveying versus certification of a GISP? No, it's a great, great question. You know, I think uh, in general terms, GIS um, and the GISP is much more dispersed in the knowledge areas. Uh, in GIS, you know, not only are we having to, to understand the geospatial side of things, but we're also supposed to, to get into some of the IT level with servers, server architecture, database administration, database design, uh, developing and serving of web services, uh, just to name a, a few. So I think within the, the GIS side of things, um, we have that uh, more dispersed knowledge area where I, I think generally surveying is much more focused on the spatial side, but not just with spatial accuracy, but also with legal issues that Brett was talking about, you know, having to issue opinions on boundaries understanding how the law impacts that and things of that nature uh, that most GIS folks are not uh, trained in. So, uh, and because of that, where, you know, each state has differing laws on uh, legal ownership of property, legal boundary determinations, 
um, and things of that nature. I, I think that's really why surveyors have to be licensed and they have to be licensed in each state. We've talked a lot or, or, or several times mentioned the public land system. Well, I live here in Georgia. We don't have the public land system. We have a head right system and a land lottery system. So we have two different property systems here that a surveyor would have to understand in order to properly render some legal opinions on where boundaries or, or locations would be at uh, in that. Uh, that's why you know, we have licensed surveyors here in Georgia being able to understand that. Whereas a GIS person doesn't necessarily have to understand all that. Maybe they deal, they don't deal with cadastral data at all. Maybe they're dealing with uh, disease type data or voting district data or something of those nature that, that wouldn't require that. So, you know, that's where I'd say the certification side is better suited to, to GIS uh, because of that uh dispersed knowledge requirement, um, as well as the fact that we're going to not always be dealing with legal issues or cadastral data. Exactly. Well, yeah, let me point out to the listeners, not everyone knows how someone becomes a licensed surveyor. There's essentially an experience component and two or three or four different tests, depending on where you live. There's a national exam, which is technical competence. You could probably compare that to a GISP style of exam. Then there is a, a law exam that covers uh, the, that particular state laws. Then there's a uh, then there's a regional type, uh, whether it's a public land survey system or New England states and some other regions have these these regional tests. And then and then there's an sometimes there's a practicum where you have to do some work. Uh, and then there's an experience component. And here's here's the challenge of the the land surveying profession is that legal, that, that experience component in those tests are all about, the majority of it's about boundary uh, and, and how you make an opinion of boundary, how you find evidence in the written word, in the, in the written record, locate evidence on the ground and apply the law of the, from the words to the physical features found and try to interpret what was, what was meant to happen. Uh, from the document. And the law has very specific uh, guidelines of what words means and, and how, to, how to apply the rules of evidence. The challenge we have here is that that's a very, very specific part of surveying. And what, what's happening in the surveying field is all these new measurement technologies, all these data collection technologies, LIDAR, uh, in particular, all these imagery techniques, GPS, all these things are collecting data that is not necessarily used for boundary, but the technology behind all those high precision, high action data collection tools are trying to, or, or part of it falls under uh, surveyors because in, it, in order to, surveyors by statute are the only uh, profession that can actually give an opinion uh, or attest to the, uh, the accuracy of a measurement. So you have this, you have this dichotomy that's taking place of these, these massive measurement tools are growing, but this very small slice uh, of cadastral survey where all those things need to be filtered through. And I think that's where the, uh, the system kind of, that, that's where the rub takes place. Oh, exactly. And it, 
I, I tell you what, I watching the watching the comments in the chat just go through. I want to jump back to those, but something I wanted to mention, and this is something that that, that the GIS side maybe isn't quite aware of the 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 difficulties in surveying. I'm seeing more and more of surveyors, and I'll I'll, I'll use the air quotes that get on on social media and will complain about surveying and the the, the lack of being able to be licensed um, because they they didn't go to school, didn't get their four year bachelor's degree, you know what have you, and that there's so much emphasis put on licensure for for a surveyor on land and on statute and on law on law that it's the, the complaint is uh, I am the I'm the greatest thing since sliced bread and construction staking I should be a licensed land surveyor and th they missed the point uh, that, that it's it's not just that one sliver of what the the, the surveying is, is is allowing us to do so you know kind of going back to what Tripp said about all of the different components of GIS it's it's similar um, that you know, we, we have our own little battles within the surveying world on what needs to be licensed um, and what could be certified. So, um, and I want to, I want, do want to go back a little bit in the comments um, uh, back to Jackie Dillon for a second. Yes, you're on to NSPS and most surveyors. We are here trying to convince more GISPs to come over to to the good side for PLSs. So hey, I didn't uh, know that's what this was about. Okay. Yes, I, mean, a, I know there's a labor is. shortage, but I didn't know that that's what <laughs> I didn't know that that's what the battleground was for. No, absolutely not. <laughs> Bottom line is is that we we've got we've got to be able to, to stay open to all of this. So uh but anybody that wants to 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 come on over to the, the PLS side, let us help you. We'll figure we'll get that figured out. But um next question I have uh is the actual geospatial data, okay, analysis versus boundary and topographic data. What, what's the difference there? Oh, that's simple. Boundary is, is applying the law to the data that you collect in the field and the, and the, and the survey record, the, the written record, the, the conveyance documents. But what about topographic data? And inf I mean, existing infrastructure uh, information. That's that mapping. That's mapping, right? You're just call, you're collecting features on the ground. That's the part that used to used to require specialty tools and special knowledge, and that has been in in my opening comments. I see you know the ease of, the ease and convenience of uh, the ability to use new technology has made those things just easy to use, and it comes back to that accuracy thing, right? Well, how accurate do you want to locate that fire hydrant? Just depends on how much you want so to I would jump in there. Yeah. I would jump in there with a caveat to that, Brent, and that would be um, in engineering applications or construction applications of topographic data. And it goes circles right back around to the whole liability conversation. If we're talking about topographic mapping and support of uh, engineering design, then I think we're back in the arena of licensing and liability and same for uh, you know, if your activities are supporting construction, for instance, you know, if you want to consider some of those activities topographic in nature, um, I, I think it kind of can circle back that direction I, too. I, I, could, well, I, could, I could not agree more with that. It depends on the use. You know, I can locate that utility pole, you know, to a few centimeters. And if it's for asset management or trying to figure out how much 
wire you need from pole to pole, no problem. But if I'm well, going to put backhoe teeth in the ground, it's a little different. Well, I'd like to, I agree completely with what y'all are saying, but here, here a little devil's advocate, if you will, right? If we're talking about engineering design, that has to be signed off on by a licensed professional engineer. If that engineer is willing to take the liability of using data that hasn't been signed off on uh, or stamped by a surveyor, should they be allowed to do that? Uh, could they use GIS data at that point? Well, you know, and I don't that, like, that the, I don't like the term GIS data. It's data. Did the, you know, well, where did the data okay, come da from? Data that wasn't signed off on, and whether we call it GIS data, geospatial data, data, whatever. I mean, the, the point comes is, isn't it the responsibility of the engineer to make that call? And I, and I, like I said, I'm, I'm agreeing with y'all in general terms that it, that should generally be done by a surveyor, but because of the technology changes we have coming down, um, the capabilities of, you know, in general terms of anybody being able to get high accuracy data, um, should, should that stipulation still exist that that data that's used for engineering purposes be done by a licensed surveyor or should we leave that to the discretion of the PE involved? And I would say that that already is covered <clears throat> generally, in my experience, at least in, in several states that I'm familiar with, with the statute, um, quite often that's spelled out in, in the state law, um, whether or not a, a registered land surveyor is required uh, to be the responsible party to support engineering surveys, or if it can be done under the purview of the, the licensed engineer. So that I think kind of gets into the weeds again of, you know, the, the statutes and how that gets dictated. And right. so there's, there's a little buyer beware there as well. You know, in boundary, you know, when, when, you, when you convey property, generally you have an abstract title done and there's, a, and there's title insurance, which protects the, the attorney and it protects the homeowner. If you, and the, it protects the borrower. It protects the homeowner or the, protects the lender. And it protects the borrower if you choose to, choose to add that policy. Um, with, with, with boundary, there's, there's no boundary insurance and boundary insurance ends up actually being the, uh, the liability insurance of the surveyor. So there's a little bit of buyer beware there. So, you know, I think that's one of the things that's not well understood in the public is if you have a boundary survey done and you build that garage and your surveyor doesn't have liability insurance, you're probably stuck. If they have liability insurance, you're probably okay. Sure. You know, and, so it's it's that legal world that surveyors work in in the construction and boundary side of things, and and that's that's the world that the most GIS practitioners don't work in. Right. Well, uh, uh, something else I want to throw I want to throw just kind of throw into this this mix right here and now with the the emerge I mean the the continuing emergence of remote sensing and more and more uh, sensors, LIDAR, all of this stuff that's going on and the push towards, especially in municipal areas, towards digital twins. Do you see, do, of the three of you, do you see issues going forward with municipalities, governmental agencies collecting this information, however they're doing it, and putting together these digital models, these digital twins, and then somewhere in the end, something gets sifted out uh, 
as far as I want a boundary or ownership issues. I mean, how do we how do we head that off at the pass um, before we get there? Before somebody is now taking this digital twin and doing some statistical analysis or what have you, and we have legal issues on the ground. Linda, you got anything on that? Yes, I. You know, we see a lot of this happening, and overall, I think this trend is positive. I think it's, it's, it's a great thing. Uh, we're in a rapidly building world right now. We have a lot of activity, a lot of projects. Um, the more data and information that can be collected and gathered and used for um, good decision-making, which I would say is where, you know, one, one level of data that we're talking about here uh, in this panel is, I would say overarching planning level decision-making level, analytical level data, and it comes down to good decision-making. But I think the core of what you're asking here comes back around again to how is it used? Uh, and, you know, there's all kinds of mechanisms and means and ways to go get that data. But at the end of the day, is it being used in the appropriate manner uh, it was intended for, collected for? Uh, it, it, you know, a, a municipality goes out and, and yeah, there's a whole bunch of LIDAR data and, it, and it's not well controlled and it's, you know, we'll say quote unquote mapping grade, which I, I know some of us, including myself, cringe when we use that, that label, but use it for sake of conversation. And then all of a sudden, you know, there's boundary questions that start coming up. Um, you know, now, now the lines are blurring and, and is there someone with the, the correct background to interpret and offer those opinions? when let's right. say a boundary situation comes up. Well, obviously it really comes down to a good solid cadastral layer, um, which may or may not be, be formalized within the system itself. But um, Tripp, what do you think about going forward with digital twins and the liabilities that lie ahead with these big data sets? You know, we have inherent issues with a lot of the data used in municipalities anyway, re regardless of uh, how full featured they may or may not be. I think that liability already exists. People are already using data in unintended ways. I think that's going to continue to increase, uh, is especially as we get into integration with BIM. Uh, and that's becoming more and more. Uh, Jan showed some of the 3D models he had been doing in the DC area. Uh, so I think that liability is going to increase. The, I guess the issue, one of the things we have to address is a lot of the licensing laws exempt government employees from the need for having a license. Mm. Yes. <laughs> yeah. And it, so does that offer some protection to the government or does it open them up to more liability because they don't have the license. And I guess that's some of the questions we need to ask. And then if we're a consultant working with those entities, are, is our licensing and or insurance protecting them to some extent or not? And I don't know that we've had any direct challenges to some of that, um, but we do see where issues between jurisdictional data um, have caused problems and in, in why we see the new next-gen 911 requirements coming out is because we have had life and death issues literally happen because two jurisdictions had disagreeing uh, GIS data. Right. Um, 
So that, I mean, it, it's, it's really kind of an open can of worms right now. Brent, what do you, what do you have to say about the digital twin phenomenon revolution? Well, it's just data. Okay. It's, it's just, it's just more data. You know, what happens when I bring my iPhone in and I, I update that data set? I think the, uh, the, 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 the liveliness or the currentness and how we update data, I think that's going to radically change. So I think we're, we're going to be looking at more dynamic data than, than a CAD file that's been sitting around for 10 years. I think um, I'm going to give a teaser out there um, on Nancy Von Meyer's keynote tomorrow. There's, um, when we make decisions, uh, there are high consequence decisions and low consequence decisions. And there are decisions that are reversible and decisions that are irreversible. If I make a low consequence reversible decision, I'll use whatever data I can get my hands on. And I, if I'm planning the route of a, of a utility line, I'll just grab anything I can get. I'll get soils, it's, you know, the national soils maps, I'll get parcel maps from, from cities and counties. You know, I'll just, I'll just mung all this data together and then, and then plan out what I need to do. And as we, as we go down that funnel, and this is the same with the digital twin, as we go down that funnel, you know, I want to put in, you know, I want to install some specific plumbing. Well, I'm probably going to go in and do a little validation or verification of that data. And, and I think that's kind of, you know, we have these data sets for managing and planning and use, but when we go to actually physically change things, I think we, we, uh, we, we go to another level of, a validation because the the consequence of the decision is so much greater if you make a mistake exactly all right well we're getting we're winding this thing down we're into the last five minutes or so um i do want to throw out um rafael had a question out there about um uh, some municipalities would have benefit would have benefits if they requested coordinates on plats and easements uh brent what would you say if if more municipalities required uh digital submissions i mean that uh there's uh, and i'm trying to if it's I'm trying to remember what i don't know if states or areas or whatever in uh australia has went to a digital requirement now um, sure what would, sure, you, yeah, what would the, you think the, about that yeah there's coordinated cadastres out there mostly that's a legal thing and when it comes down to coordinates they're generally calculated from measurements uh, whether that measurement is done with a GPS or a total station. So I, I actually personally don't look at coordinates any differently than I do uh, really good collected data. However, that said, you know, if you're requiring state plane coordinates on something, that raises the bar on the, uh, on the capabilities of the submitter. You know, so, so if you say, oh, I want these in, you know, if you want all this metadata around that point, yeah, that, that continues to raise the bar. Um, I think when we, uh, if let's just say a survey plat, for example, that you submit to the city for approval. If you put the coordinates on there, that's gonna help, the, that's gonna help whoever's managing the GIS a lot better to get that information in there. And that's gonna improve the quality of the GIS. It's gonna make the GIS more reliable. So I think it's a, uh, I think it's a nice thing to do, but there's a, there's many ways to get that same data into the system uh, without coordinates. Sure. Trip, what do you think about that? Um, yeah, I, there's a lot of places uh, throughout Georgia and elsewhere that I work that do 
require digital data submission standards or digital data submission of as-builts and plats and whatnot. Uh, as Brent said, there's a lot of benefits to that. I think uh, there's a couple of caveats that we have to be uh, cognizant of. First is, yeah, I know here in Georgia, there are still surveyors and even engineers that hand draw stuff. Um, and by law, you can't prevent a licensed professional from practicing their profession within you know, the, the proper guidelines. Uh, so often you have to allow for, for some sort of hand drawn caveat or submission there. Uh, the other part to that is, as we talked about in the, the earlier presentations, is that you know, coordinates change. Um, and just assigning coordinates to say property corners, uh, building corners or those things, uh, if people are not smart uh, or not educated, I don't want to say smart, educated enough to understand that that, that coordinate was assigned at an epoch, as they were talking about mm -hmm. earlier, that that's, you know, 10 years later, that's not going to have the same value uh, because of the land moving, Right. So we have to be aware and make sure that we are incorporating that within those requirements and, and part of that understanding, because the general public is not going to get that. Sure. Linda, wrap us up there. Absolutely. I think that's um, somewhat of a slippery slope. I think there's definitely some, some potential benefit there, but the danger is also in, in the metadata, you know, quite frankly, you know, we may be talking about two different things here. Is this a paper plat submittal that has coordinates recorded or, you know, versus a digital submittal? Either way, metadata is absolutely critical because those coordinates don't mean anything unless we know their identity and we know what they mean. Um, otherwise, to me, it's almost more dangerous to have that included um, than to just leave it off. Right. Well, we've pretty much uh, elapsed all of our usable time here. And I know this, this session could go for probably a couple more hours, to be honest with you. I wouldn't mind it, but uh, probably, probably uh, everybody else listening would. Um, Linda, any, any parting thoughts on, uh, on how we bring GIS and surveying closer together? You know, I'm just so excited that we're all here today and we are at the table and having these conversations because we're, we're going to be doing more and more and more of this into the future. And I think that awareness is the first step that's getting each of our professions and each one of us uh, more educated, more aware and more um, introduced, if you will, to what, what each profession is doing and how we're doing it and how we complement each other and how we can work together. Because I think Jan hit the nail on the head uh, it takes all of us and we're in this together and that's not going to change anytime soon. And so the sooner that we can come together, help each other out, learn what each other does, uh, we'll be so much stronger uh, because of it. Exactly. Trip, what do you think? Parting shots? Sure. You know, I remember when I first got into GIS and was talking to some of my surveyor buddies and they were all joking around about how GIS stands for, you know, get it surveyed. Um, uh, there is an increasing amount of communication going on between our, our two professions. And I think that's wonderful. Uh, we support and complement each other uh, that I don't think there's really, or should be any conflict there. It's just a matter of us getting down to the table and, and really understanding the strengths and weaknesses 
of uh, what each of us can bring to the table and how we can really foster each other's professions and just supporting the overall uh, health, safety, and welfare of the, the public. Uh, so, yeah. Exactly. Well, uh, Brent, we'll let you have your final shots and then turn the baton back over to you as uh, master of ceremonies today. Uh, okay. Thank thank you all for, for participating today. And and uh, and thanks for all of the great comments in the chat. I'm we're definitely going to have Wendy uh, uh, grab all of these and really take a look at them. And and if there's questions about what's you know more about what we're we're talking about here, fire us notes, fire us uh, suggestions, and and uh, together we keep this dialogue open. We're going to make it so much better. So uh, with that, Brent, thank you, and take it away. Well, I think GIS, uh, and I've, you know, I was hoping nobody would use that title, get it surveyed. Um, a friend of mine in, in New England, in Boston, actually one day told me it means guaranteed income stream. And I think there's so much opportunity for surveyors in GIS. I think it's a time now that the technology supports all the things surveyors used to need that it was perceived that GIS couldn't. GIS is a lot easier to use now, and it's, and it's used by uh, almost all of our common customers and clients, whether you're a GIS practitioner or you're a surveyor, we're, we're serving common clients. And I think there's just a, there's just a wealth of opportunity. So the, uh, that's how I'd like to close it. And I'd like, I'd like to thank Tim, and I will shamelessly plug Surveyor Says Podcast, because well, I think it's pretty good. There's some good stuff in there. I if was you're not gonna, subscribed to I was going to ask you if we could do it. Go ahead, just give it a quick plug, because like I said, because of the, especially the two members here, Linda and Brent, that were on, uh, those were two fantastic conversations because of the guests and a lot more uh, great insight to having both feet in, uh, in, in each camp. Uh, survey, uh, surveyor says, just search on that. You can go through uh, nsps.us.com. Uh, take a listen. Like I said, they were both great interviews and uh, Dave Doyle as well, amongst everything else. So thanks again, Brent. Yeah, and the uh, and that's another area where we can. There's a lot of comments in there, and I'm hopefully we can capture these comments uh, afterwards and and try to put together some you know, some more thought you know thoughtful work on this. The because uh, we do want to keep the conversation going. You know, and again, feedback on you know this session, feedback on the 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 GIS Survey Summit as a whole to help us uh, help us guide further. Uh, and with that, uh, thanks again, Tim and, and, and Tripp and Linda. Thank you uh, personally. I, I know all these guys personally, so it's kind of, you know, we all have common and, and, and differing views. So it's nice to, to get together and chat and, uh, uh, and discuss those. You've been listening to the Surveyor Says podcast brought to you by the National Society of Professional Surveyors. If you have any questions about today's episode or any other topic, please email us at info at nsps.us.com, and we are here to help. Visit our website, nsps.us.com, to learn more about our association, the programs we administer and support, our sustaining members, and information about future episodes of Surveyor Says. Subscribe to the podcast on iTunes, Apple Podcasts, Google Play, iHeartRadio, Spotify, as well as our podcast host, Podbean. And remember, it's a great day to be a surveyor.